We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. The Bible says in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. That's a pretty fancy word that you don't hear very often. Uh, You know, when you're at the grocery store, probably no one has said that word to you uh, at all. But the word propitiation, what that tells us, it means that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place as our substitute has satisfied God's wrath and God's fury against our sin. Every culture has their own language and specific words they use. Christianity is no different. In today's message, Pastor Dan describes propitiation and its importance in the life of a Christian. For us, Jesus Christ is our propitiation. He went to the cross, died in our place, and took God's full fury upon himself. He paid the debt we owed for the sin we committed and will continue to commit against God. Aren't you thankful for such a propitiation? You don't deserve Jesus' gift, but he gave it willingly. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Ezekiel chapter 21 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Look at the end of verse 10. He says, It despises the scepter of my son, speaking of the sword of the Lord, as it does all wood. This is probably referring to King Zedekiah, the final king of Judah. The reign of that king will be destroyed by the sword of the Lord, by his judgment. And he has given it to be polished that it may be handled. This sword is sharpened and it is polished to be given into the hand of of the slayer, verse 12, cry and wail, son of man, for it will be against my people, against all the princes of Israel. Terrors, including the sword, will be against my people. Therefore, strike your thigh. God says here to Ezekiel, do everything you can to warn the people. You know, cry and, and wail, strike your thigh, do everything you can to get their attention. There's, there's a sense of urgency here with this. There's not much time left, Ezekiel. You, you got to get this message out. You got to get their attention. They need to know. They need to be warned. Verse 13, because it is a testing. And what if the sword despises even the scepter? The scepter shall be no more, says the Lord God. The, the scepter here, it represents the, the king of Judah, the scepter shall be no more, says the Lord God. You, therefore, son of man, prophesy and strike your hands together. The third time, let the sword do double damage. It is the sword that slays, the sword that slays the great men that enter their private 
chambers. It mentions here the third time. The third time, let the sword do double damage. Remember, the Babylonians invaded the land of Judah three times. The third time was the final destruction of Jerusalem and, and the temple was all destroyed. I have set the point of the sword against all their gates that the heart may melt and many may stumble. Ah, it is made bright. It is grasped for slaughter. Verse 16, swords at ready, thrust right, set your blade, thrust left, wherever your edge is ordered. Verse 16, God himself is giving the command to thrust the blade of the sword of judgment. And God is like a field general here, giving commands here on the battlefield. He says, sword at the ready, thrust right, set your blade, thrust left. He's he's commanding them each step of the way with this. Each move in the judgment, each move in the battle. Which just reminds us of the sovereignty of God over this judgment, right? God is sovereign over every step of this. And God is sovereign over the world today. God will be sovereign over the great tribulation that will come upon the earth at the end of the age. It will all be fulfilled according to his doing, according to his command, his word that he issues. You know, in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5, we see this scene in heaven just before the tribulation begins upon the earth. And Jesus takes the scroll, which is the title deed to the earth, and he begins to open the scroll. He's the one who begins the tribulation that is to come upon the earth. It's not going to be any politicians or any governments or anything like that. They're going to be players, but it's Jesus Christ ultimately who will be sovereign and everything will unfold and open according to his order. In Revelation chapter 5, I'll just read it to you. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Again, um, most Bible teachers think this is a reference to a title deed. It's the title deed to the earth. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much. John speaking here. He begins to weep because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne... And of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having having seven horns, which speaks of his power and seven eyes and is all knowing, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand, hand of him who sat upon the throne. Jesus gets up and he takes the scroll. And he takes the scroll and it goes on to say that he begins to open the seals of the scroll. And he begins this process and he opens the first seal and the second seal and the third seal and so on. And he opens these seals and then after the seals, there's the trumpet judgments. 
And we go through each of the trumpet judgments. And then after the trumpet judgments, you have the bold judgments. One by one, he begins these, these bold judgments. And it's all unfolding according to his sovereign plan. Just as we see here. It's all carefully commanded by God. Where God is giving every command during this judgment. So, verse 17. Look at verse 17. I also will beat my fist. Now, this is the Lord speaking. I also will beat my fist together. And I will cause my fury to rest I, the Lord, have spoken. God says, I will cause my fury to rest, or I will cause my fury to be satisfied. My fury against the people of Judah for their sin and for their rebellion. I will, God says, I, I'm, I'm going to judge them until I'm satisfied that they have received an appropriate judgment for their sin and rebellion, and then I'll rest from my fury against them. Now, what about us? What about you? What about me? What does the Bible say? about God's fury against our sin. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ has satisfied God's fury against our sin. The word for this in the Bible is propitiation. Jesus is our propitiation. The Bible says in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. That's a pretty fancy word that you don't hear very often. Uh, You know, when you're at the grocery store, probably no one has said that word to you. Uh, at all, but the word propitiation, what that tells us, it means that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place as our substitute has satisfied God's wrath and God's fury against our sin. God is satisfied that our sins have been sufficiently punished and paid for by Jesus Christ. And so now he can rest from his fury. His fury is at rest against us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of the cross of Christ. Verse 18 now. The word of the Lord came to me again saying, And son of man, appoint for yourselves two ways for the sword of the king of Babylon to go. Both of them shall go from the same land, make a sign, put it at the head of the road to the city, appoint a road for the sword to go to Rabbah of the Ammonites and to Judah into fortified Jerusalem. For the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the road, at the fork of the two roads To use divination, he shakes the arrows, he consults the images, he looks at the liver. In his right hand is the divination for Jerusalem to set up battering rams, to call for a slaughter, to lift the voice with shouting, to set battering rams against the gates, to heap up a siege mound and to build a wall and it will be to them like a false divination in the eyes of those who have sworn oaths with them. But he will bring their iniquity to remembrance that they may be taken. This is a pretty interesting passage here. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, comes marching into the region with his army. They're on this military campaign through the region and they apparently come to a crossroads. They come to an intersection or a fork in the road, as it says. 
where they can go one direction and they can go and attack Rabbah of the Ammonites. Uh, that's Ammon in modern-day Jordan. They could go that direction. Or they can go the other direction and they can attack Judah and the city of Jerusalem. And so the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he's at this crossroads. And what does he do? He actually used uh, kind of pagan divination, pagan methods for guidance. And that's what verse 21 is describing here. Uh, when he comes to these two roads, he uses divination. He shakes the arrows. He consults the images, their idols. He looks at the liver. All of this is Babylonian pagan uh, stuff that he's, he's doing here. These are all rituals the Babylonians use to try to receive guidance from their gods. Pastor Dan will have more to share from today's Ring of Truth study in just a moment. But right now, we'd like to invite you to worship with us this Sunday morning. Here's Pastor Dan to tell you a little more. I heard recently that many people who listen to Christian radio are not part of a local church. Hey, if that's you, I'd like for you to join us this weekend as our guest at Calvary Chapel located in Columbia, Maryland. The teachings you've enjoyed here on Ring of Truth are from messages I've shared with the congregation at Calvary Chapel. We have two meeting times on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. You can find out more and get directions at our website, calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Now let's get back to today's message on Ring of Truth. Isn't that interesting? Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king, now he's, he's on this campaign and he's seeking his gods for guidance. He comes to an intersection. Should we go to the Ammonites or should we go over and attack Judah? And so he does all of this stuff and evidently all the signs pointed to attacking Jerusalem. So he chooses that direction. And he heads towards Jerusalem. Verse 24, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Because you have made your iniquity to be remembered, in that your transgressions are uncovered, so that in all your doings your sins appear, because you have come to remembrance, you shall be taken in hand. This judgment is really about their sin. Because of their sin, they're going to face this judgment. Aren't you grateful for Jesus Christ who takes away all of our sins so that we're not going to be judged according to our sins, but according to his righteousness? Now to you, O profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day has come, whose iniquity shall end. And he's kind of saying here, your time's up, king. Your day has come. Thus says the Lord God, remove the turban and take off the crown. Nothing shall remain the same. Exalt the humble and the humble and humble the exalted. You know, the the turban here that's mentioned uh, was worn by the high priest. The crown was worn by the king. And so they're both removed. High priest is removed. The, The religious leader, the spiritual leader of the nation who was corrupt And the political leader of the nation, the king, they're both removed by the Babylonians. He says, nothing shall remain the same. Everything's going to change. Verse 27, overthrown, overthrown. I will make it overthrown. It shall be no longer, look what it says, until he comes 
whose right it is, and I will give it to him. This is the Lord speaking. Zedekiah was the last king of Judah from the line of David. His reign will be overthrown by the Babylonians. And no descendant of David will sit on the throne until, it says, he comes whose right it is, and I will give it to him. Speaking of the Messiah, the son of David, Jesus Christ. In, in history, Zedekiah is the last king from the house of David. He's removed by the Babylonians and there has not been a Davidic king who has sat on the throne over Israel. And there will not be a Davidic king to sit upon the throne until he comes whose right it is, Jesus Christ. And God says, and I will give it to him. Remember with the birth of Jesus, the gospel of Mark and the Magi come. They came seeking the one born, the king of the Jews. Jesus Christ is the king of the Jews, the Messiah of, of Israel. This is, this is one of the, verse 27 is one of the greatest messianic promises in the Old Testament that is often overlooked and never mentioned by people. But here God is promising that there will be a king. The Messiah will come. He will be king. He will sit on David's throne. And God will give the kingdoms of the earth to him until he comes whose right it is. You know, right now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God in heaven. And he's waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. And then he will come. And he will rule over the earth from David's throne. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 5 it says, Behold the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And that doesn't that sound great? Righteousness and judgment in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Speaking of Jesus Christ, our righteousness. And you, son of man, verse 28, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God concerning the Ammonites and concerning their reproach, and say, A sword, a sword is drawn, polished for slaughter, for consuming, for flashing. You know, uh, so remember, Nebuchadnezzar came to this crossroads. He did the whole divination thing and decided to attack Jerusalem. Doesn't mean the Ammonites are off the hook after he conquers uh, Jerusalem. Several years later, about five years later, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come back through that area and he's going to attack the Ammonites. And God will judge the Ammonites. And you might think, well, wait a minute, the Ammonites aren't God's chosen people. Yeah, but, but God, you know, God still judges them. He's the judge of every nation. Even if it's not his chosen people, even if it's not a Christian nation, he's still going to judge Every nation. So verse 29. When they see false visions for you. While they 
divine, a lie to you to bring you on the necks of the wicked, the slain, whose day has come, whose iniquity, iniquity shall end. Return it to its sheath. I will judge you in the place where you were created, in the land of your nativity. I will pour out my indignation on you. I will blow against you with the fire of my wrath and deliver you into the hands of brutal men who are skillful to destroy. You shall be fuel for the fire. Your blood shall be in the midst of the land. You shall not be remembered, for I, the Lord, have spoken. Uh, Again, this prophecy here about the Ammonites was fulfilled by the Babylonians about five years after they destroyed the city of uh, Jerusalem. But Nebuchadnezzar, when he came and attacked the Ammonites and conquered them, he did not carry them away as captives as he did with the Jewish people. He killed them. He slaughtered them right there in their homeland. That's what his verse 30 is talking about. I will judge you in the place where you were created, in the land of your nativity. God, you know, the judgment was actually right there in their homeland. They were wiped out. So this was a much more severe treatment of the Ammonites than of the Israelites. The Israelites, at least, were carried off as captives and came back. The Ammonites were just wiped out here. Now, turn with me over to chapter 25. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because you said, aha, against my sanctuary when it was profaned and against the land of Israel when it was desolate. And against the house of Judah when they went into captivity. Indeed, therefore, I will deliver you as a possession to the men of the east, the Babylonians. And they shall set their encampment against you and make their dwellings among you. They shall eat your fruit. They shall drink your milk. And I will make Rabbah a stable for camels and Ammon a resting place for flocks. In other words, it's just going to be a field. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. The Ammonites will be completely wiped out. And the reason that God will judge them so severely is because, we're told here, because of their attitude toward the children of Israel. That they enjoyed seeing God's people suffer. They enjoyed seeing God's people fail and falter. They, they, they liked when things went badly for God's people. You know, there's people like that today. They love it when a Christian, you know, falters or when a Christian stumbles or when, uh, you know, when there's, uh, there's some Christian that falls into sin or does some kind of grievous thing. They love it. They love, they love to boast and, and, and mock and scorn Christians, much like the Ammonites. And so here their, their judgment is much more severe. If you look back in chapter 21, God says in the last verse there, you shall not be remembered. You know, there's going to be no prospect of restoration or rebuilding. They're just going to be completely forgotten. And nothing could be more terrible than to be completely wiped out. At least sending Israel into exile for a season allowed them to come back. That was the mercy of God. It's better than being completely wiped out as God did with the Ammonites. He asked me how I know, and I say it 
We're so glad you tuned in to hear today's edition of Ring of Truth as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ezekiel together. If you'd like to hear this message again or more from Pastor Dan, feel free to visit our website at calvaryec.com. You can listen to and download a wide range of previous broadcasts or simply subscribe to our podcast. Sometimes life can get busy. And when it gets busy, it can be hard to find the time to dig deeper into the Bible for ourselves. At Ring of Truth, we've tried to make it a bit easier for you. Our podcasts provide you with up-to-date teachings through the Bible and can be taken with you wherever you go. This way, you'll have encouragement from God's Word throughout the day. You'll find a link to subscribe to our podcast at our website, calvaryec.com, or just search for Ring of Truth in iTunes. We'd love to hear how Ring of Truth has had an impact on your life. So please let us know by giving us a call at 410-491-4592. That number again is 410-491-4592. We'd also love to be praying for you. So when you call, feel free to share any prayer requests that are on your heart, and we'd be happy to pray with and for you. Well, that's all we have time for today. Join us next time as Pastor Dan continues teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Ezekiel, right here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and what I know because I know His voice and it only takes Rings true.